You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. So I think I have a million things here that I want to talk to you guys about, but let's okay. start with, uh, since there's so much to talk about, let's start way off topic. Okay. Uh, so maybe you guys can give me some advice or some help. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, I was writing in my newsletter about social media. And since you guys are the carnivore social media queens, I was wondering if you guys can give me some tips. Because for me, it's a struggle trying to, you know, I did have something where I was like trying to post every day and then I was like, every day is too much. So let me try and post once or like three, four times a week. And even then, to, for me, it's more work. It's more of a struggle. Uh, it's something that I have to like. I have to have in my calendar. I have to set a time to be like, look, post something on social media because otherwise, I'll just spend all my time, you know, in my work doing the research, reading, writing things that I, I consider the work. When really, yeah. I, I know social media is. I need to consider that part of the work uh, because if like if you have a message you want to spread, you know that that's the way to do it these days. And you guys are amazing at it combining information and uh, you know, entertainment. So I love following you guys. So help me out. What should I do? Okay. We, we appreciate that. Um, but we have to start with saying we have an advantage because we have 20 fingers, right? <laughs> so there's two of us. So that makes it a little bit easier. We can like uh, switch off some roles and like some duties and stuff, but do you want to start with giving some tips? Do you want me to start? Yeah. Um, Full disclaimer, Ashley and I struggle with this too. We kind of always talk about it. Like how can we make social media fit more into our life rather than run our life? Exactly. It takes up so much mental space. Yeah. And it's not fun going through your day and realizing, holy crap, my face was in my phone for three, four so that I didn't done <laughs> or anything. So right. we actually tried taking a step back and we have been working on this. Um, so just in general, we make sure we start our day without social media. So we go on our walk, um, we kind of reconnect, we talk to each other, and we end our day the same way. We go on another walk, we put our phones away. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we kind of disconnect. We make sure we have those two experiences. Yeah. But in between, we are kind of constantly going on our phones. And so she's a huge, Ashley's huge into research. So she is really good at um, digging into studies, writing really awesome posts that are super comprehensive, but possibly harder for somebody to understand if they just read it. And I, on the other hand, am more into the like communicating and, and making it more fun. approachable and fun. So that's how we tag team it. So I think like if it's something for you, if you have somebody in your life who could read over the post and be like, hey, I didn't really understand that, maybe make it more digestible um, like maybe your wife. I need to find a Sarah. There you go. Yes. You need a Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'll read her post and I'll be like, okay, I get it. But like, or sometimes I don't get it. And I'm like, uh, can you explain that? So, but I think, but I think the main point there is in order to, for the post to like go well, combining humor or making it just very approachable is just the only way to do it this, yeah. these days, yeah. you know, like, Having these super long scientific posts that people don't understand all the words, there's literally no point in posting that because only a very small group of people can understand. And at that point, what's the point? Like if you're trying to reach a mass audience, why communicate these ideas that are important to you in a way that no one can understand? It just doesn't make sense. So that's like our main goal with our posts. Is it digestible by a large group of people? 
Right. It's um, like for me, I know I max out the the character limit in just about every single post. I'm like, I know people aren't on Instagram wanting to read an entire, you know, article, but yeah. I, I, I feel like I have such a hard for me, I think this is the problem with social media. And it's it's really the problem with a lot of things is it lacks so much context. Like if I want to say something, I'm like, okay, that is true in this context. But if I don't yes. surround it with everything else, it's like this yes. is so easily going to be taken out of context, taken the wrong way. And yeah. I'm like, I don't want to misguide people in what I'm thinking or my thoughts or, or whatever. Uh, and social media is such quick, you know, tidbits yes. where it's hard to, even my articles, like I, I get lots of comments like, wow, this is like the one I'm working on right now. It's over 10,000 words right now. I'm like, that's a small book. I need to, <laughs> but for me to get like everything I want in it, sometimes I feel like I, I have to say so much. And I think that's what I struggle with social media is like, you know, really narrow something down into digestible. It makes sense. And also makes sense in context, I guess. Well, so something that we're just now starting to experiment with is making infographics. I don't know if you yeah. have like our post today was the first one that we've made in a while. I saw it. It was great on Deuterium. We're going to experiment with like um, infographics because people like images, you know, yeah, and so absolutely. We have a website called Canva. I don't oh, yeah. know that. It's free. Yep. And so that could be something you experiment with as well. Cause you can add context by pictures, which sometimes yeah. is more digestible and you can use the picture to add text and context. And then you don't have to use as much in the captions. Yep. Another thing we're going to experiment with. Okay. Well, thank you. So we might let's, I'd like to circle around back yeah, to the of time. Uh, but I'm sure some people want to know, you know, some, some nutrition stuff. Okay. And actually I'm curious about some nutrition stuff. So let's circle back around to that. I appreciate the tips and I'll see if I can't step up my game closer to your guys level. I know that's asking a lot, but, uh, that's true. <laughs> so as far as I think like a, a good place to kind of start for some context <laughs> is a little bit of your guys history. Uh, because I know you guys had some autoimmune stuff. You tried some stuff. You finally landed on carnivore. You can give me like kind of a quick roadmap to carnivore and then we'll pick up there. Um, okay. Yeah. So both of us flashback like three years ago, we're all about if it fits your macros, high carb, low fat, like let's just eat a lot, gain, gain that muscles. Like let's get it. Um, then I've been there. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Diagnosed with autoimmune conditions. Sarah was the first one to be diagnosed and her symptoms were a lot stronger than mine. Um, and so since then they were just different. Slightly different, um, but since that day of being diagnosed with autoimmune, like health has moved to the top of the totem pole in terms of priorities. So we've been doing everything we can. Looked into fasting, and then we heard about keto, and so we were all about those two for a while. And then ultimately, finding carnivore as a way to possibly heal our autoimmune. Heck yes, sign us up. Um, so exploring now carnivore, and I have now fully reversed my autoimmune condition through carnivore, which was probably one of the best days of my life getting those blood markers back showing no like no autoimmune whatsoever. Um, Sarah hasn't been doing carnivore as long because she had her bikini competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're still waiting to get her blood work done. We're probably gonna do hers in like the fall. Um, but along all of those nutrition experiments were huge in exercise and going to the gym and being as much of an athlete as we can be. Um, we like the bodybuilding and powerlifting sides of things. What did I miss? No, that's, 
<laughs> that was great though. And it, it, I, something I would like to discuss because it's a trap that it's easy to fall into is if it fits your macros. Actually, if your goal, if someone's goal is body composition and that's what they're gauging their success on is how they look short term. If it fits your macros can be extremely effective. Absolutely. Uh, and so it's like, it's, it's an easy trap that someone can fall into. It's like, look, I hit my protein, fat, carb goals. I went to the gym. I got, you know, I did great in competition, whatever. What gets lost in that and what, you know, almost 20 years for me, it was a misconception. Where I was like, look, if you are building muscle and you're losing fat and you have good body composition, health is a natural consequence of that. And I think that's true to a degree, but that's not, that's not the end of the story. Like most people, if they improve body composition, they will get healthy healthier. Uh, yeah. But that is definitely not the limit. And I, and you guys notice it through an autoimmune condition. I notice it more through mental function, like, cause that's what brought me to carnivores. Like I wanted to perform at a higher level mentally. I was very happy with, you know, with my physique and what I've been able to do over the years. Uh, but I was lacking something upstairs. So that's, that's what brought me to it. And uh, I, different people come to carnivore for different reasons. And a lot of times it is body composition, which makes me nervous. Yes. Uh, but when people come for the health reasons, I think they find more success. And, oh, yeah. and after that, you know, they'll often find the body composition goals that they have. Uh, but sometimes they have to be patient. So, uh, Sarah, I guess you haven't been carnivore as long because of the bikini comp. How did that go? Yeah. How did that go? Um, yeah. I truly realized that I do all of this like health and fitness stuff for intrinsic reasons and therefore getting any sort of like trophy or being on stage really didn't do anything for me. Yeah. So I realized like, eh, not for me. And that's fine. Like I learned yeah. so much about myself throughout that journey. Um, so in terms of like tying that to if it's your macros, I, we do still track our macros in a way. Um, we're much more intuitive with it, and we'll explain that. But we track our yeah. fat and our protein. Yeah. Right. It's it's for experiments. Like you're big on experiments, so you yeah. kind of understand. Yeah. Um, so throughout my competition prep, I eventually my macros at the time because I was keto were lowered to about 20 grams of carbs, and throughout that process, I eventually went to 15. And then myself, I just started switching in protein, taking out carbs, and finding like. Oh, my body's responding really well. Like even it's it's just a small amount. Wait, quick timeout. At the be like maybe two months into her prep, I switched to full carnivore. Yeah. So it made her feel weird. She was like, "Wait, why am I not doing what Ashley's doing?" Right. She's <laughs> in the middle of her prep, so yeah. it was like a little scary whether and or not she should experience. I had this fear in my head that like, oh, if I take out, okay, because when I'm when I'm tracking my body composition, any like the, my scale weight will be in, impacted by poor digestion. Mm -hmm. So there's here in my mind, if I take out the bok choy, if I take out the fiber, am I going to see the scale go up? Am I going to be bloated? Am I not right. going to be pooping? Right. And it, it just, it didn't happen until the week after my competition when I finally removed it all where my digestion became normal. <laughs> I stopped being bloated. Lean as yeah. well. I lost an additional, not joking, four to five pounds. And I was just like, <laughs> like oh, let's get on another, get another one scheduled next week. Yeah. But by then I was just like, I just want to dive into carnivore. I'm so done with this. Yeah. It, it, what's interesting is so, so for listeners that haven't done competitions, I've done a couple, uh, they are extremely taxing physically, but mentally probably more than anything. It's like all encompassing your energy gets to be terrible. 
you guys have mentioned eating disorders in the past. I'd like to, if we have time to touch on that a little bit, maybe towards the end, uh, because there's a huge psychological component to competition prep. And, and the reason I talk about this a little bit is because a lot of people have body composition goals and to get to the goals they want, they don't need to prep to be like a competition, but a lot of the same strategies are, are applied maybe to, in less extreme manners, but the same pitfalls I also arise such as, you know, psychological relationship with food and such like, and such. Uh, so as far as the timeline, actually you started carnivore around what time? March, March, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So just this year. Okay. And Sarah, you were a couple of months after that. I was like, uh, middle of May, end of May. Yeah. Middle of May, end of May, June, July, August, September. Okay. Uh, and so that's interesting. When did you guys start? Cause you started experimenting with some carbs. How, first of all, let's, let's start back. How, how long did, let's talk a little bit about the transition. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. When you transitioned to carnivore, what was it like? So I did the full, um, she read your posts. I read all your posts. Um, <laughs> I didn't do the beef and water, but I did like the full, like no caffeine, just salt, just animal products. Yep. Um, and for some reason I was just worried from the start. So I kept in things like eggs and dairy. And yep. then now it's funny, like fast forwarding, like I don't, I, we don't yep. dairy ever. Like I don't want it. Um, so initially I was a little withdrawal from caffeine and things like that. But, um, after like full 30 days, I started like introducing things like pork to test for inflammation yeah. or chicken and stuff like that. And so I now, uh, now we're in September. Um, I now have a pretty good handle on like what triggers any sort of like mental brain fog or any, like I can tell there's like a disruption in my body. So pork is one of those things for so, sure. So pork for you, Ashley pork for you or Sarah, I'm sorry. Um, we just kind of avoid it. We just prefer not so to not, not a lot of pork. No. So it, it, I've noticed it leads to some indigestion problems, but then also just general inflammation. And I think the reason for that is just because like conventional, even high quality pork, they have to be fed grains at some point in their life. Yeah. Uh, and they are fed grains. And so yeah. that's unavoidable. However, have you heard of Iberian pork, Iberian pigs? I have not. So it's a breed of pigs that's raised in Spain. Um, but white oak pastures, an amazing regenerative like yeah, farm familiar with them. Georgia, brought over some um, pigs from Spain and are raising some Iberian pork there. So you can actually get Iberian pork products from white oak pastures. And I don't experience the same symptoms. Really? Anymore. And that's because these pigs are amazing. I could go on for like 10 minutes. I'll just give it <laughs> a um, They Their diet is like they consume just a bunch of acorns and they're, they have a really cool ability for their body to produce um, their like oleic acid. So their fat is very high in oleic acid, which is common in avocado oil. Yeah. And like, yeah, I think avocado and olive oil. Uh, olive oil, olive oil. Like, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> so their diet is quite different and it's an interesting species uh, breed. So their pork products may be a little bit different, but yeah. We, we will still eat pork. Like I'm, I'm not going to just avoid pork for the rest of my life. I just know, okay, if I eat pork today, I'm probably going to see some inflammation the next couple of days, but that's yeah. okay. So it's just on occasion. Any other specific meats that either of you do or don't eat because of certain reactions or anything like that? 
I've noticed it's similar to chicken too. Chicken. But I have chicken maybe once a month, once every couple months. Yeah. So I eat chicken occasionally. People like people talk bad about it. I don't think it's like when you start talking about the differences between meats or you're talking, yeah, there's different absolutely differences, but the difference between like, you know, beef and chicken versus the difference between like beef and a donut is like, yeah. we're, you're not even talking about the same. We're, not, we're like, yeah, it's astronomically different. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, like I personally include all kinds of meat, but yeah, it's probably 80% beef. Uh, yes. but I don't stop. Like I eat some pork, I eat some chicken, et cetera. We also got a full cow the other week. So yeah. like if we aren't using our beef, then <laughs> that's on my list to talk about. Cause I just finished the cow. And so I, I'm in the market for another one soon. <laughs> I think if like you look at it from an, if it fits your macro standpoint, we prefer to fit our macros with like, there you beef. go. Yeah. Like a, yeah. <laughs> and so that's something, let's just talk about the cow a little bit right now, because that brings in another topic I want to talk to you guys about. And then we will get to carbs. Cause that was actually one of the main reasons uh, that's this article I'm working on is which will be live by the time people uh, see this uh, is all about carbohydrates and carnivore specifically in the context of a carnivore diet. Uh, but a little bit about nose to tail. Cause I know you guys with your, your plot tests on Instagram, you guys do a lot of nose to tail. You got, looks like you got some great recipes. I know there's a cookbook in the works. Uh, we yeah. can talk a little bit about that too, towards, uh, towards the end here in a bit, but, uh, so your your platas, they got a lot of nose to tail, and talk to me a little bit about that and how you incorporate nose to tail and and your thoughts around that because I have unique thoughts that might be a little bit divergent and I like to focus on wh where you know people have di diverging opinions just to you know no, open I, up I people's heard, thoughts. I heard your podcast on human performance outliers a few weeks ago. Your discussion with Sean and like that, yeah. that's totally fine. There's a few different views on it. And I think it all just goes down, breaks down to like what works best for you. Yeah. Um, I think that we have a slightly different opinion because of our beliefs in the sustainability of all of this. I don't know if you want to yeah. start a little bit more there. So I see us eating nose to tail for three main reasons. One would be, okay, maybe you get more nutrients in a well-rounded profile of nutrients. Sure. Two, a lot of complaints about carnivores that it's, boring so right. this allows yeah. you to incorporate a lot of fun cuts into your diet and explore new things like fun platos like it, it's sure. fun and then three would be yes yeah, she said sustainability so when you're eating from the whole animal for example like how we bought our cow and you then too um you a lot less is going to waste and so yeah. we see that as doing our a tiny part in not contributing to just eating ribeyes and then you see like the tongue and the heart which all have great nutrients Yep. not being sold um, and just staying in the farmer's freezer. So that's kind of like our yeah three main reasons I'm why we eat nose to tail. Yeah. Um, my, yeah. Thought, my thought is around that is quantity a little bit. So let's just keep it simple. Let's say you ate one cow a year. It's, let's just call it four to 500 pounds. In that four to 500 pounds, like you're only going to eat one tongue. So like how much of, how much tongue are you actually eating over 52 weeks, it's like, you know, like a nibble a week, right? Uh, our tongue can be pretty big, but, but you know, I, I guess the point is you wouldn't eat a, a ton of organs if you were eating an entire cow. Yeah. I mean, you would eat organs, but you, it wouldn't be like the majority of your meals would be made up of organ meats, for example. Yeah. I think um, 
if you look at it without in, outside of the context of buying a full cow, you can go to a local farmer and you'll find a ton of tongues in their freezer. Mm. And therefore, you can just include those in your diet. Another thing to think about is for people who complain that it's expensive. That's what I, yeah. These cuts are cheap. Like you can get a tongue for like $3. Yeah. Because so, no, no one wants that yet. So no that, I'll take yeah. those tongues. Give me those tongues. So Which that's is interesting. Like the fattier uh, beef, uh, like fattier ground beef is is cheaper than like the ultra lean ground beef that you buy. I'm like, hey, that's, that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of our opinion on it. Yeah. That's a fourth. I guess that would be the fourth reason would be yeah, the cost. And so you bought your cow from a local farmer. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I visited that website a few times. Wild Eats. Eatwild.com. Eatwild.com. Man, yes. in St. Louis, that's where I'm at. We don't have, it's not, it's not that great. <laughs> so, which is shocking because Missouri is one of like, it's like yeah. one of our like cow states uh, yeah, of yeah. the United States, but there's just nothing that local uh, that is, that there are some, but just when I was price shopping, not, not the most attractive yeah. deals, but uh, so I probably need more of a personal relationship with these farmers. That's, that's what yeah. we like. That's why we, I think we're our first full cow experience was amazing in terms of like price wise, but then also just like negotiating isn't the right word, but we were able to like get products that we will actually use. Like we switched out. We aren't huge on ground beef. That's just yeah. our opinion. Yeah. Uh, like, Preference. Preference, but we were going to switch out all of our ground beef, which is what? It's a lot. It's half. Half the, half the cow. <laughs> We've chuck yeah. steak. Yeah. We have endless amount of chuck steak. That's so a lot like, of chuck steak. It's <laughs> developing that personal connection with that local farmer where he realizes you're a really great customer and he wants you to enjoy the full cow. So starting that discussion in terms of like what things you could change up for your preferences is I think pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's very awesome. All right. So let's, let's go back to the timeline of commerce. You did the transition. Did you guys have any bad symptoms in the transition? And the reason I asked that, I wrote that guide a few years ago, like 30 days, how to transition to carnivore, just yeah. to talk about some of the experiences I had other experiences had, and I had my email address in the initial download and it got downloaded by like, over 50,000 people. And so I've gotten a lot of emails to say the least about lots of struggles during the transition. And that's why one of the reasons I focus on it is it's not always a walk in the park for a lot of people. Did you oh, yeah. experience any like rough transition symptoms? Okay. I did for sure. So we some, both we both did, but start with mine. Um, I have been dealing with constipation for my whole life. Right. And you, I think starting carnivore, you just have to be in the right mindset wait, realizing wait, she, so she went carnivore because of her constipation and couldn't resolve on anything else. That's yeah. the right. context. Yep. So I think the right mindset to walk into carnivore with is like your, these symptoms that you have didn't develop in a week. They've developed over the course of years. So you have to give carnivore some time. So yes. when I started carnivore, Preach I that. did not <laughs> poop for 20 years. 20 days, around 20 days. There's something, obscene. something. Wow. Insane. So my, like my <laughs> constipation before carnivore, it was very common for me to go seven days without pooping. Like, wow, my stomach's in a ton of pain today. And then I started carnivore and I didn't poop for 20 ish days. And I'm like, what were you, symptomat were you symptomatic during those 20 days? Meaning like you felt bloated or no. Okay. No. So, oh, so, 
I just kept telling myself, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just using all the food. Uh, right. My body has no waste. Um, so then I, I did eventually poop and then I had to use magnesium citrate for a period of time. And now my digestion is much better. So it just took a few months. Um, but yeah, those in that initial, initial 20 days, a little, a little painful near the end, but that's for sure. People experience that in the exact opposite and it's, which is interesting, <laughs> but, th but there's ways to help mitigate pain and things like that. So, yeah. uh, Sarah, They're how about you? Opposite. Oh, opposite. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. you, you weren't coming from keto. Were you coming from keto? I'm sorry. I was, I was. Okay. So you were kind of already fat adapted. That's yeah. so that kind of like is one hurdle, but you were doing a competition prep. So you weren't really keto. Were you during that time? Hard to say. Yeah. 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 But you weren't like focusing on getting Oh, 70% of your calories from fat or anything like that. No, I mean, I kept my fats relatively high. And so like, it wasn't a huge change. Um, it was just clear that my gut microbiome was just dr dramatically changing when I went carnivore. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, you, the, anybody who's listening to this would probably know like the poops when they just come out, they come out and they yeah. come out fast. And so like, that was what I dealt with for a while. And to be completely honest and transparent, I have dealt with that throughout my carnivore journey a few times, maybe each month yeah. where I'll go a period of two to three days. And it's like, okay, it just seems like my body is releasing even more and then I'll go back to normal. But my normal now is significantly better than it's ever been. So that's, that's something that's really interesting is like, I, I will still go through that. Mm -hmm. that maybe my body is releasing um, more of the bacteria in my gut or I don't know, changing. So but, I was similar to that. Oh yeah. Probably. I talk about kind of the transition stages. Like the first month is like kind of the acute symptoms. And then there's other healing that I'll just call it healing as a broad catch all phrase that took me, things got better and better and better. Not three months out, six months, out, like a year later, things kept getting better and better and better. Yeah. Uh, especially mostly with digestion because digestion was fine after a month. But I would say it wasn't until after a year where I was very consistent. Everything was just digestion was perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it's like I, I didn't have issues with stomach, any stomach issues in the gym. That's one of the things like we can talk about that a little bit with, when, when we talk about carbs and pre-workout supplements or whatever, where it's like the stuff you're eating that's actually hurting your workout. So the reason you took it to try and gain some benefit is actually doing more harm than good. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd experienced a lot of that. But, you know, after a year, Carl, like my, my digestion was finally... I would say like great. And prior to that, I would say like, I've never experienced great digestion, but now that I know what it's like, it's like, Oh God, you, I don't want to go back to not good digestion because that impacts every aspect of life, like yes. how you feel. So yeah. Yeah. Your poop says a lot about your health. Yeah. It, it really does. So, okay. So you guys transition through at what point did you start bringing in carbs? So let's, let's this is the meat of the, the conversation. Probably. Two months in? Yeah. So strict, strict meat for a couple months, and then you tried in some carbs. Yeah, and like by adding in carbs, um, we added it in maybe once a week, two times a week maybe. Yeah. And we do a different approach than some others in the keto community where we don't feel like you need that much. So we were doing like 50, 40 grams or less once or twice a week, and we did that for a period of time. And now we're kind of at like a, when we feel like it. So 
listening to our body yeah, and yeah. saying, Hey, I feel like, like I, I just picked that pumpkin from a pumpkin patch. Yeah. I'm going to eat some of that pumpkin or like, yeah, just much more trying to listen to our body and see when mm-hmm. we, yeah, hormone cycles. And so we kind of like forced the carbs uh, when we were doing like our TCD targeted carnivore diet experiments earlier. Um, but we learned a ton from it. And yeah. I think that we have a much better approach on carbs now. So when you, do you take the carbs generally? And I, I like what you guys said, cause I heard you guys talking about this the other day. You view carbs as a supplement, not necessarily a macronutrient. I think that's a great way to look at them. Uh, if you're using them for body composition yes. performance reasons, think of it as not like, Oh, I need to, you know, fit these macronutrients into my diet, but more of more like a supplement. Yes. Uh, have you noticed, first of all, when do you take them then? And then have you noticed, you know, fuller muscles or energy changes, et cetera? What, like, what have you noticed with the carbs? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, we view carbs as a, a supplement, as a tool. We like to compare it to a lifting belt and like, so carbs are not needed for everyone. And I think the discussion really changes depending on your goals and your activity levels. But yeah. Even between us. So yeah. We have different opinions on this. Yeah. Um, so I think when you talk about carbs, you kind of have to think about like three things. You have to think about like one, the type of carb, two, when should you eat the carb and three, the amount of carbs needed. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing for yeah. people to navigate through. And through our experiments, we've learned a ton for what works for both of us and what works for me works differently than Sarah. So the biggest message to everyone is just, if, if you are like, if you have performance goals, um, to experiment and find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so what specifically should we dive into about carbs first? Well, so when, oh. when do you, you, when do you typically eat them for performance reasons? Do you, uh, do you eat them pre-workout? I know you guys have experimented with some of the super starch. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. But, uh, so w- when do you, when do you generally eat them and, and have you noticed, uh, you know, do you, do you, have you noticed your muscles getting flat when you don't eat carbs versus more full when you do eat, eat carbs? And I, I'll, I'll elaborate more on why I'm asking this because I, I get this a lot. Um, so I personally don't. And I think like the Michael or Dr. Volex study shows like uh, for fat fueled athletes, fat fueled, like athletes that have been fat adapted, um, their muscle glycogen levels are the same. Mm-hmm. And all of us, like we aren't walking around with just flat muscles all the time, you know? So like it clearly shows that we do have some glycogen in, in our muscles, sure. but, um, I do no- notice a performance improvement, um, especially in the gym, Sarah, I think slightly different, but you have to put into context that she's now focusing a lot more on power. powerlifting. Yeah. I am just kind of doing more hypertrophy work. Hey, no, no reason, no reason to say just, yeah. Equally, hey. equally good. Sean Baker calls it fluff, so I give him trouble about that. I'm like, look, everyone uh, wants to be a bodybuilder. Don't call it fluff. Oh, uh, see, here's the thing. I I was doing a lot of fluff post competition because, like you said, <laughs> in a mental state of like being fragile. Yeah. And so I thought my body was still fragile. So I'm finally allowing Ashley to do my programming, and she's adding more strength work, less fluff. Well, so maybe I'll experiment more with carbs. But for what I was doing, the fluff. Um, I didn't really see a performance difference at all. Like I felt fine. Um, that being said, I don't know if it was placebo, but when I was 
supplementing, supplementing with carbs a little bit more during the summer, I did find that I had more energy and oomph throughout the entire lift. Whereas pre-workout carbs, pre-workout carbs. So not, we did first, we started with taking post-workout carbs, obviously didn't. Really. So the reason we started with post-workout carbs is pleasure. We, we, no, no. We heard a discussion that like your insulin can be spiked more by having like carbs post-workout. And so you like the mTOR activation gets longer too, but that study is debated because it was in a myotubule, myotube something. And then I dug further into the research and it, it clear, it clearly shows that, um, Protein alone can trigger mTOR that adding carbs on top isn't needed. So therefore we switched from post-workout to pre-workout. And now it's funny. I think that the most effective is intra. That's my personal opinion um, in terms of experimenting with those three. Interesting. So the reason I ask is I, I would generally, if someone's asked me that I'd say when, when, if I'm going to eat carbs for performance reason, I would say post-workout. Uh, mainly because I think most of the benefits come coming from the insulin are post-workout. I mean, you just had, you just spiked your cortisol in the workout, which is not bad. It's a cute cortisol spike, which is like a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but then you can use insulin to control it. You can use, like you said, it, it enhances anabolic properties. So I, I think of it quite simply as sympathetic versus parasympathetic. When you're working out, you're sympathetic. Like you are going at it but when after workout when it's time to rest and digest parasympathetic you know insulin kind of triggers that growth and repair which you know if i think i feel like at the end of the day if you working out feels better with cars before workout whether it's physiological or placebo or whatever it is that's fine like whatever's going to make you work out the best is that's going to have the biggest impact at the end goal uh but for me i did i didn't understand why the point of pre-workout carbs unless like i talked with zach bitter he's the ultra marathoner who does yeah. meat-based diet and his reason makes sense like he would have let's say if he was doing a morning workout and evening workout he would have carbs post his first workout so yeah. they could refill glycogen stores before the evening workout which makes total sense to me uh but unless you're going into your workout you know there's no reason that your muscle glycogen should be depleted. <laughs> it's kind of my point of view. No, I, I totally agree there. And I, I do think that there is probably some benefit for having carbs post-workout. It's just you, you don't know, right? Like yeah. you just, it's hard to tell. There's no tests really. Um, I just view that's And that's why I've stumbled like intra workout as the best, because I just feel it as a quick source of energy. Like I'm able, it allows me, to push myself more. And in the end, what muscle building breaks down to is one, are you eating enough calories? And two, are you giving your body enough training stimulus for it to adapt? It yep. allows the intro workout allows me to push myself more to increase that training stimulus. That's why like pre. Yeah. <sighs> Funny story about pre, we feel like the last time we ate pre-workout carbs, both Ashley and I were so bloated that like you said, it the inhibited was, us yeah. from actually lifting because we were like, man, I don't feel too good. Yeah, that's and exactly. that's why I tell people I'm like, we're like we're we're talking about like what I would consider the minutia, which I find very interesting and it can be important. But there's like the major building blocks that like look, this is the most important thing is actually getting a good workout in. How you like time nutrients around that, etc., is like you know icing on the cake 
for yeah. on a proverbial kick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so interesting. And so with your carbs, which sources have you included? What are your favorites? And tell me a little about those. Okay, so um, we did a lot of testing with like blood glucose and ketone measurements and those differed a lot between us. So for example, we did sweet potatoes one time. Sweet potatoes shot my blood sugar up to like 150. So I felt very uncomfortable and like I haven't eaten sweet potatoes since then, whereas hers stayed under 100. So it just, it shows your body's able to digest things differently. Um, And so once we started like experimenting with like different carb sources and the realizing which ones didn't spike our blood sugar, then we kind of just went towards like what actually felt. No, no, we, our main focus was what is more benign. Yes. Yeah. So, so what, what are your benign choices? I, cause I, I agree. I mean, if I'm yeah. choosing carbs, I would choose yeah. ones that I know are not just full of oxalates. And yeah, all that exactly. Exactly. Um, so our, our favorite, more benign sources are the squash. So different varieties of squash, the curcure back. Oh my gosh. Curcure. Do you know what family we're talking about? The the curcure what? Curcubitacia family. That's, she just butchered that. Zucchini, cucumbers, (laughs) pumpkins, squash. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the non-sweet fruits. Yeah. Yeah. And like you point out in all of your blog, like your blog posts, like fruits are going to have the least amount of toxins. For the most part, yeah. 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 But yeah, keep going. Yeah. So a squash, so different varieties of squash, and we avoid the skin and we avoid the seeds, obviously. Um, if you want to think about other like more vegetable types, that would be like zucchini or cucumbers, possibly. So those are all pretty benign. So I'm talking like spaghetti squash, uh, butternut squash, even yep. soup for some people, but soup potatoes are high in oxalates. I, I would avoid yep. soup potatoes. And then pumpkins this fall. Yeah, pumpkins this fall. Um, and then she, I didn't do this, but she did try the super carb and then the architect. Yeah, there's a few types of like, you know, those fast digesting, slow digesting drinks, carb drinks, like the You Can Super Starch and then yeah. the Archetype Supplements brand super carb. And so I've experimented with both of those. Yeah. yeah. But if, my opinion on that is if you're, if your goal is performance and you're, you want to try to use carbs, then go into those supplements yeah. and use them in the middle of your workout like she does. If your goal is because you miss carbs or you want to try to use it for like body composition or something, whatever, then just pick a more benign source, see how you respond to it, and then adjust accordingly. And a great starting point is squash. Yeah, a great starting point. I would recommend squash because it it just, it has a good glucose to fructose composition. Um, and it's more benign. And if you're on the carnivore diet for the sake of reducing autoimmune symptoms or some other chronic disease you're dealing with, don't just go jump back into your, if it fits your macros ways and you have a pop tart. You know what I mean? Or oatmeal. Yeah. 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 Like do, do carb up responsibly. (laughs) Right. Right. That's that's (laughs) yes. So, Ashley, when you mentioned your blood sugar spiked with the sweet potato, did yeah. you guys do more experiments like where yours didn't spike and Sarah's did? Because I, I want to mention a little bit. So I'll, I'm going to get a little bit science geek on this, yeah. but I'm just curious what your guys' experiments showed. So, uh, sweet potato for me spiked my blood sugar kind of insanely. It didn't really spike Sarah as much. 
rice, white rice worked really well for me. Didn't spike my blood sugar much. It spiked Sarah's a ton. So those are two differences that we had for sure. Very interesting. Okay. So, and one of the reasons I, the first thing that when you mentioned that, like I thought of is when someone's been very low carb or no carb for a significant amount of time, the body, the muscle cells tend to get, and there's, there's some, there's some interesting research papers on this, uh, a degree of insulin resistance, what I would call kind of the good insulin resistance where they become glucose sparing for the brain and other like red blood cells, essential uh, cells that have to use glucose. And so if you haven't eaten any carbohydrates in a long time and you eat a big sweet potato, two things can happen. One is those muscles have a little bit of, you have all this glucose and those muscles are a little bit resistant to it because they've been sparing it for the central nervous system, so to speak. Uh, that's one thing. The other, the other potential thing is you haven't, you haven't secreted much insulin because you haven't had any carbs in a long time. So yeah. the combination of those two things can someone that, that has takes their blood glucose after their first carb meal, they're like, Oh my God, my blood sugar is 200. They're diabetic. Like they're dying, but we're really like, you know, I would expect those things. So just that, just as a heads up, like maybe you shouldn't eat sweet potatoes. Maybe you should, but that's just something I would have in the back of my mind. If I was testing blood sugar, I'm like, well, maybe it's spiked it today, but if I have carbs for a week and I eat a sweet potato again next week, it might not have the same effect whatsoever. So just for listeners out there, I just don't want people to be scared by yeah. abnormal blood glucose reading. Yeah. I think another thing we are trying to balance at that time is like we want to balance performance in the gym, but then we also want to balance how our brain is functioning for like our own work and like research work and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're trying to find same. something that wouldn't kick us out of ketosis and yeah. sweet potato definitely did for me but you bring up a really great point that we did not consider yeah for sure yeah. well so what's interesting is so i have done the last six to eight weeks some some carbohydrate experiments i had not eaten a carbohydrate in two and a half years i had not oh, eaten wow. a fiber in two and a half years and so i figured it was time like things had been so settled i just felt like like i said after a year my digestion was great i was like and so after two and a half years i'm like i think i know what a great baseline feels like i want to yeah. test some do some experience because i'm asked about it all the time uh, and I didn't use a, uh, blood glucose monitor just because I knew I was like, look, I don't know, this is going to tell me data that I'm not gonna be able to really know what it's actually saying. So yeah. it was, did my blood glucose spike or not? I don't know. But, uh, anyways, when you, a couple of th more things about carbs and then, uh, let's see, we, I think we got about 15 minutes and I know you guys got a busy day, so we got to get all these questions or I just got to have you on again. Uh, one of the things I worry about with carbs and people reintroducing carbs is, basically an addiction uh, because I, I, I think that's the right word for it is like we are addicted to carbohydrates. Yes. Like Atkins diet. I think about this a lot because there's an ex super successful diet, very different than not very different, but different than a carnivore diet. I've written about that. Uh, but it's very successful diet in terms of weight loss and we're getting health, but kind of notorious people can't stick with it. And I think one of the reasons is in that diet, they have a protocol for reintroducing carbohydrate, more carbohydrates in their diet people probably fall off the bandwagon. Did you guys experience or have you experienced addiction with carbohydrate? Because I think beating that addiction is one of the biggest benefits of carnivore. Um, okay, so I think you, you touched in the beginning that we both came from an eating disorder past. So we have been working on our mindset with food since like 2014. Yeah. So it's been many, many years of like, getting, getting over addictions of food and, um, getting away from attaching emotions to food. 
So Ashley and I are both coming from a place doing these experiments with a really strong mindset around food. That's why I was finally able to do that competition because I felt ready. Like I felt like I wasn't going to deal with any negative mindset consequences. Yep. Um, so what we, and we also did a period of time with keto. So we were already kind of used to the lower carb and didn't really like find that we needed the carbs in the first place. So, ah, man, we didn't experience addiction with the carbs. I think the first few times it was like, Hey, that was kind of fun. Like, we introduced it, but that same day after the workout, we were like, man, I'm ready for my nose to tail carnivore diet again because we felt better. Yeah. yeah. So we attached to feelings at this point in the context of like, did we actually feel better with the carbs or did we like, do we function better without the carbs? And it always goes back to, we function better without the carbs. Therefore I don't need to add the carbs. I'm going to move on. You know what I mean? Yep. Like we, we've come, like she said, our past, we come from that. Therefore, Right now, we view ourselves as like health optimizers. Health comes before anything else. And so we st I still view food as fuel and like what it's going to do for me. I, of course, I enjoy, like I wouldn't be eating all the carnivore nose to tail things if I didn't enjoy it. But I think that my body attaches food enjoyment to how I feel, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So yeah. we may be extreme type of people. Well. And then another thing that creeps up in the back of my mind is where we were coming from was an if it fits your macros diet of very high carbs. And I know you say that people follow if it fits your macros for body compositional purposes. And that was what we were doing. But I have never liked my body as much as I do now than when I was eating that way back then. And my hypothesis is that I was incredibly insulin resistant. And yes. so even though I was dieting and I was at very low calories, but my, I kept my carbs high, I never achieved a physique that I thought I was going to, mm -hmm. even though I worked out and I was eating quote healthy food. Yep. So finally getting to a place of like, oh my gosh, like that food was not serving me. The carbs were not doing it for me and reversing my insulin resistance and getting controlled my metabolism where I have now added in over nearly 1200 calories to my baseline diet after my competition prep without gaining a single pound. Mm. I don't want to change the way I eat. Yeah. I don't want to stick to carbs anymore. Like they were not doing it for me. And I had to learn that the hard way through the autoimmune and never being able to lose weight in the past. Yep. And so I think if somebody is going to try to add the carbs, be honest with yourself, were they serving you in the past or are you eating them for the sake of like emotional reasons? Like, yeah. Truly, what is going to be better for your health? Can you find a healthier balance eating foods that fuel you and serve you and allow you to thrive and enjoy those foods? Like that's that should be your end goal. Not can I add this carb so I can lift a little heavier? Because in, right. at the end of the day, health is going to top those physique and strength goals, and that's that's where our heads are at. Yeah, yep. and that's why we aren't. Yeah. Which I'm glad you said, it's, and I talk about body composition a lot in regards to carnivore diet because that's what people ask me a lot about. And the, ironically, the reason I came to carnivore diet was I was not body composition. That, like health had, had trumped over that. Yeah. Uh, but I have reverted back to talking so much about it that I've gotten kind of renewed interest in it again. Uh, and it brings up a point that I wanted to mention is when I eat closer to ketogenic ratios, fattier meat, probably closer to 70, 30, I feel my best on that. And I am kind of, people know that I eat a higher ratio of protein now than that. 
for body composition reasons. And I know I'm sacrificing. I could probably feel a little bit better. I probably could for the sake of body composition reasons. I'm like, man, I'm going back into this old mindset. Yeah. Uh, I still feel great if I'm eating 60% fat, 40% protein, whatever. Uh, but I wanted to mention that because I think from a macronutrient, the reason I do that is for body composition. If I eat 70% fat, because I did that for a long time, I'll carry more body fat than I want to in order to and maintain the amount of, mon- amount of muscle mass I want. Uh, and I've just found that over, over years of experimenting that for, for me to have the body composition that I kind of want, I need to eat a higher percentage of protein and a little bit less fat. Uh, it's not low fat by any means, but it's just lower than 70, 30, probably on most days. But when I eat closer to 70, 30, 80, 20 fat, I feel better. And I think, I think a lot of people experience that similar thing. I used to think it was like, uh, maybe a male female thing. I don't know. Maybe you guys have some, some insight into that differences between males, females, macros, anything specific for, for females. Cause I, I get a lot of people asking like, you need to have females on your podcast. I'm like, wait, I need to have anyone on my podcast, but, <laughs> but what about your guys' point of view? Yeah. Um, I think that, well, we personal experience, we know we feel better with high fat. Uh, high fat. Yeah. Um, however, I think we take a unique approach where we do high fat and high protein. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we want to try to maximize how our brains are doing, but then also how we do in the gym. And I feel like my recovery and how I function in the gym is better when my protein is high, but yeah. my brain functions better when my fat is high. So therefore both. Um, so just to clarify, if you say high protein ballpark of grams of protein, what that would mean yeah. for you? Cause that would be different for you versus me. Cause I'd probably weigh a little bit more than you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 125 pounds. Um, I've been bulking from carnivore. So I've gained about five pounds, which is a complete opposite of what others are doing. But I think that's a, the smart way to go. That's what I tell people when they start, I'm like, yeah. you should think of this as a bulk, but yeah. Um, in bulking season right now, um, operation thin to thick pizza crust, you know, I like that operation. But um, I am 125 and I eat around 170 grams of protein a day. See, that's exactly what I would tell. Like from a bodybuilding mindset that I've had for so long, to go below one gram of protein per per pound of weight to me is like, you're automatically not optimizing. 100% agree. Uh, I would err closer to 1.5 grams. Yes. um, Yeah. But with ketogenic. Now, if you try and get ketogenic ratios and that amount of protein and you're trying to lose weight, you can't even do that. That's what I was trying. That, that's kind of my point. If you, you can't hit ketogenic ratios, eat that much protein and be in a caloric deficit for most people. And so, right. and, and a lot of times they, so long story short, if you, for people that try and hit ketogenic ratios, the protein often drops low if they're trying to force a caloric deficit and end up losing a lot of lean body lean body mass and that's what right. i warn people against i experienced that firsthand significantly uh but but yeah so and sarah you do well with more fat too but high protein high fat i like that that's yeah. the approach like so my my protein is 170 but then my fats i try to listen to my hunger cues and like based on how i'm doing in the gym and how much activity i'm expending my fats are anywhere from 180 to 210 grams, just depending on how I'm feeling. And she's up there now too. Like her metabolism, she has reversed so well out of this prep. Yeah, she's eating so many calories. It's amazing. Well, that's great because as one thing I was going to mention was my very first competition prep, I was very naive. I, I, I knew a lot about the macronutrients and dieting and I got insanely lean. 
Uh, the leanest I've ever been in my life was my first prep, but I didn't know anything about after it. And after I did the, co- the competition, I went home, you know, I was going to just eat whatever. The competition was over. And it was minimum a week. This was, this is years and years ago, so I don't remember it perfectly, but I could not stop eating. I was sick to my stomach, but I, I needed to keep eating. And I did not know this was like a thing, but this was like, this is extremely common in bodybuilding. And I think people experience this with normal diets, uh, just to a less extreme, like they go on a diet and they, they let up a little bit and then they keep eating. They don't feel good, but they have this psychological need to keep eating. Like for me, I couldn't get satisfied no matter how much I ate, even though my stomach was ex- you know, yes. stretched to the limits. And it took a long time to reverse it. I was like, and it's, it's very much a hormonal psychological thing common with physique prep. Usually, so I tell people like, look, I was naive. I suffered through this. A reverse diet is a very wise thing to have as a plan after that, after that prep. Oh yeah. Especially if you do have some sort of um, tendency to have disordered thoughts around that. I agree. And that brings up like kind of what you're saying about introducing the carbs into a carnivore diet. Will you get lost in that rabbit hole? I don't know. You need to be honest. You know what I mean? So, and that's kind of the part of this article I'm working on is so many unanswered questions that I have. That's like, for example, the first thing I, I broke my two and a half year, no carb diet was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a jar of organic raw honey. Yeah. That's see, what still hard see what happens. Let's just see if I die. And so, you know, I broke it up over to four days, but I had a jar of honey. And what was super interesting is like, I had no cravings. I thought for sure, like I was going to have several tablespoons and I was going to want more, uh, didn't want more, didn't have any cravings at all. Like didn't need more. And I don't know, similar experiment. I did a Chicago trip. Uh, and I had basically, I was going to eat with whatever my girlfriend ate at the time. And she got some ice cream. I had a spoonful of her ice cream. And people that know me know I'm like the all or nothing kind of personality. Like one spoon of ice cream leads to like the whole pint of ice cream. But for like the first time I had one, I was like, oh, I could just be done with that. Like that was enough. So long, this is a long winded way of saying like, I feel like I finally like broke this addiction to carbs. But the question is like, if I had a jar of honey once a month, every month, would that addiction, like how much, how often would, would that come back to where it's like, I need more, I want more. Like, like what, where, where's that limit at? So. It's interesting too that you're, testing that by using honey and ice cream because those are two carbs that you would get the sweet addictive yeah taste. I, I didn't give you the full context that's in the 10,000 word article <laughs> so but I did start with I started with with the raw organic honey because I my goal my initial goal was to test the hypothesis of like a pure carbohydrate without yeah. any of the potential phytotoxins anti-nutrients other things that might get fiber for example I was like I haven't eaten fiber in almost three years what happens yeah. with so that was the next thing I did. I ate two avocados and then two pints of blueberries to see what was fiber going to do with the first time I inter- reintroduced it in kind of an aggressive fashion. So all these interesting things. I can't that- wait to read this article. <laughs> we, I avoid avocados because I'm scared what fiber will do. <laughs> so I, I, had, and I, got, I got asked this a lot. And the, one of the reasons I experimented was because like I can talk from theory all day long, be like, this is what I think will happen, but I have no personal experience with it. So I wanted to be able to speak from some experience. Oh, yeah. And some of my things that I thought were going to happen caught me off guard. Some of the things I didn't think were going to happen caught me off guard. So, it, you know, it's been interesting. Yeah. You know, at the end of this, so, you know, I get to the punchline is like, 
you want to feel your best, like stick with meat based and everything else is going to have varying exactly. degrees of negative, not negative. Wait, quick, quick thing real quick. So you asked the question and I kind of just didn't answer it was what are your thoughts on like female hormones and how they do on a like, yeah. lower fat, higher protein approach mm -hmm. versus a higher fat, lower protein. So we actually work with a few clients. And one thing that we've noticed is when we switch our clients from a high fat, moderate protein to a high protein, lower fat, their cravings creep back up. Um, and so they actually, one of our clients was like, Hey, can we switch back to that other, that higher fat, uh, macro split? Because I'm getting in, insane cravings. And I don't think like the word rabbit starvation is like the right way to say it, but maybe with the females that those fats just help stabilize the hormones, like just better. And I, I don't know enough about it, but that's just an interesting thing that we've noticed. I, I personally experienced that. And it's one of the things when, when I talk a lot about the body composition stuff, one of the things I do recommend is a little bit lower fat, higher protein and cycling fat, having higher fat days. But one of the things I've noticed is like once I've become very intuitive over many years of eating like this, where I could like a fat hunger. And it's like, once I get that fat hunger, I know I need to have a higher fat day. And so then I have that and then I'm good again. And it's like, that's the way I would cycle fats if I was trying to get super lean again. Uh, but yeah, I, so I personally experienced that and I know exactly what that client's talking about. Uh, yeah. So fats get too low and you're just eating a ton of protein. Yeah. You get a craving, but usually that cravings for fat. And the pro the scary thing is that craving needs to be crushed with fat. If someone wants to go crush that craving with carbs, then they're going to just be start, you know, Give me more carbs. Yes. It doesn't fix the craving. So the craving's still there. So they eat more and more. So that's yes. a, that's a dangerous spiral. Eat uh, suet. Yes. Eat more suet. That's right. I know you guys eat a lot of beef suet, right? That's oh, some yes. of your favorite. I'm just looking here at my list. I know I have a, a million things on here that I wanted to ask you about. There's a few things. Let's just touch on a couple things and I'm probably just going to have you, have you guys on again. You're fine. Too. Don't worry about it. Okay. So I, a few things, uh, let's just, let's just quickly talk about this. Uh, I think there's a couple cases for carbs and I, I, I outline in this article. One is performance, potential case for performance, body composition goals, et cetera. I think there's a couple other cases. One is adapting to carnivore. I think potentially it can help people. Uh, instead of, I use the analogy as like, look, you're either going to dive into the cold water and get used to that water real fast or tiptoe and real slow and it'll be painful the entire time you get in there. But I think there are some people that benefit from tiptoeing. What do you guys, do you have any experience with this? So she tiptoed in. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, you kind of did. I did tiptoe. I think it was a really good way in. It was a very long tiptoe. So from like. <laughs> exactly. You, you suffer a little bit the whole time. <laughs> I would consider doing a keto diet a tiptoe into carnivore. Because um, sure. you're already getting rid of like the addiction to carbs and whatnot. Um, so from in between a true keto diet to carnivore, I ate a lot of, this is random, but kelp noodles. So they're interesting, interesting. Animal and they're super low carb. But I found that if doing the tiptoe, it made it actually harder to let go of those final items. My bok choy and my kelp noodles were, it, it caused an unnecessary fear. And I should have just dove in because when I did dive in, I adapted within a week and I was fine. I didn't want them anymore. So, but I think that if she did, if, if she didn't take that approach of tiptoeing in, 
a month into it, she would have been like, hey, I may try adding in that bok choy and that kelp again. Yeah, yeah. Whereas she realized just like slowly eliminating things. Yeah, that's a good point. She, she got to a point of like, wait, I feel better without this one. Yeah. Okay, maybe next week I'll try removing this one. And so I think it made you appreciate the way you felt on full carnivore more. Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah, I think really to see that. Yeah, yeah. If someone asked me, I think most people do better. Mike, pull the bandaid off, jump in the deep end. Yeah, uh, suffer a little bit and then get it over with. Uh, but I think for some people, just because I've gotten, I've heard from so many people that have that the transition lasts for months. I'm like, look, if you add a little bit of fiber in right now, maybe that'll help your digestion. You know, yeah. wean off it. Maybe add a little bit of carbohydrate to wean off it. I think there's there's a case for that. Uh, I haven't I haven't perfectly you know, outlined who that case would be for. Uh, but I think that's a, I think the other potential case is adhering to carnivore. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, we live in a carb culture, carb world. And that doesn't mean you need to, you know, live that way to how the world society thinks you should live or anything like that. But sometimes it's like, I know. So Sean Baker was saying like he had a, his kid's birthday party and he had a piece of cake and people it's like, oh, you're just meat-based. You're not carnivore and like stigmatize it. I'm like, well, I don't think that's healthy. Like, like, so the long story short, I think some people are a hundred percent. A quote I like is from Clayton Christian. A hundred percent is easier than 98%. Meaning like, I don't eat those. That's kind of how I am with alcohol. I just don't drink. It's just easier that way. I don't have to make a decision. It's already decided. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and I think some people are like that with diet where it's like, look, if I just don't have these as options, it's easier. But I think for other people, it is easier to be 98% to say, look, I can eat this way 98% of the time, but 2% of the time, I want to drink the wine. I want to have the chocolate. I want, I, I, I want these other aspects of life and culture, et cetera. Uh, so do you guys have thoughts on that? Yeah. So before I went full carnivore, I would always say to Ashley, like, Oh, come on, like, please tell me that you're going to have a salad with me again. You know, <laughs> that you're never going to have that again. And I think that never word is very scary. It, it so, is. Yeah. So I don't really care to have carbs, but if I look at it as, oh, I can never have carbs again, that's where the disordered eating habits and mindset's going to come back in. I agree. Yeah. And I so instead, you look at it as like, oh, you know, if I want to, then I will, and I'll do it in a controlled fashion. I'll move on. So, so we we are the ninety eight people yeah. giving, even though we okay, we are we are hundred percent, but we view it as ninety eight, giving ourselves the mental freedom. Yeah, that's exactly. That yeah. That's what I think a lot of people need. And in this article, I was thinking about writing about different frameworks of carnivore to help people put that into their into their brain. Yeah. Whether it's keto carnivore, like there's all these different kinds of carnivore. I'm like certain frameworks can help people as a way to think about it. Like, Oh, I'm carnivore, but I allow myself to eat a cheat meal on the weekend or whatever. But yeah, you know, I, Honestly, I think it would be insert name here, carnivore. So like Kevin carnivore. Exactly. This carnivore. We're like, all meant to be carnivore. Well, no, exactly. we are, but like finding, finding whether you are that 98 or are you a hundred percent? Exactly. It's sustainable for you. Yeah. What works for you, your culture, your life. Uh, yeah. I agree. So that, that, I think that's uh, important. So uh, let's see to kind of, I, I, real quick, because I love this. It's been one of the biggest things I wrote an article this year. It's something I've known about and have researched for a long time is the benefits of, of getting sun exposure. And I yes. have 
been terrible with it. Like I work indoors. I, I'm like, look, I know this. And I wrote that. I, I finally wrote it, put all the research into the, into the blog post. And once I did that, I am someone that can't be hypocritical. Like I have inability to do that. So once I wrote that, I started walking every, every afternoon after launching for 15, 20 minute walk in the sun that has had as big of an impact on me as like anything. And I know you guys do steps and you're getting your son. So tell me about it. We are huge proponents of getting steps in, but we are kind of hypocrites because my blood work showed severe vitamin D deficiency. Not that severe. That was the only thing. That was the only your, what was your vitamin D? Oh, man. I, I can 20s? pull it up. Was it I, 30s? Oh, 20. It was 20s. 20. Yeah. Um, huh. But we, we do go outside a ton. It's just we just always are covered. And so that's, that's our biggest downfall. But on, we do morning walk, afternoon walk, evening walk, like, we try to get outside with our dogs and do it, get our steps in as much as possible. Um, for a few reasons, we try to hit 12,000 steps a day. It helps with recovery. It helps with like weight maintenance. Yeah. But the biggest thing is like the mental part. And I think Sarah can really talk about that. Like, oh, the, yeah. like, like getting, getting ourselves in the right mental state. I mean, sun is important for so many things, but the way that I feel after a walk, when I just like close my eyes and take it all in and go outside, I'm assuming that's the benefits you're experiencing it's, too. It can't be. Yeah. I can't even tell you like, I, this, like this week has been a terrible, like it's what could go Murphy's law was in effect this past week. Like everything went wrong. But after I go on that walk, I'm like, look, the sky, the world is collapsing, but I'm going to go spend 10 minutes on this walk. And yes. after that, I would feel like, I'm like, I'm very, very glad I did that. And, yeah. and now like, so it has brought, more vitality to my afternoons, you know, yeah. usually when I start hitting the decline, yeah. uh, I, I, I sleep better. I, like everything is improved by going out and getting some sun. And it's not like I'm not personally doing it for like steps because I do a 10, 10, 15 minute walk. I'm not going very far. I'm not burning very many calories, but it's just like, I'm getting out, I'm getting blood flow and oh, yeah. I'm getting as much sun rays as I can. Like I said, like I'm walking around the neighborhood without a shirt on and the neighbors are like, what is this guy? Doing? But it's like, my sports bra sometimes my my dad always used to put it as leave with a problem come back with a solution and so that's how we view our walks and i think that it's therapeutic if anything for us i yeah yeah, so that's one of the things like that i've changed this year that made a a conscious change and i was like that has been like for the better now i'm worried about winter because it's like winter's on its way i'm like i i'm gonna have to be covered up i'm like oh man i need to really store up on this vitamin d right now Yes. Scary, scary. Uh, yeah. well, just schedule a vacation or something like that. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for all the time today. Oh, it's great you. talk with you. Thanks for all the social media tips. I'm going to try, like, I follow you guys because I want you guys to rub off on me. And hopefully I can start getting on your guys' level. Set a so- make a social media calendar too. Or, yeah, just yeah, talk to us about that. But another thing is, like, just be on your story. Go on your story. Yeah, go on your story just more. Doesn't I know, matter. I never do it. <laughs> it, you realize this like people want you to be as strange and as authentic as possible because then they can feel like they can relate to you so like yeah. no more hold back just be, your story be kevin stock yeah <laughs> that's what i'm saying like you guys are doing all that great stuff in the gym and people are always like dude fill, fill up your gym stuff i'm like yeah i don't have a gym partner i've always been a loner in the gym it's just kind of the way i like to work out yeah. uh but i'm like man i just maybe i need to just find a friend 
start start recording some video. <laughs> that person who sets up your phone. Yeah, everywhere. honestly, okay. <laughs> the more obnoxious you can be, the more people will appreciate that. Like you're just doing. You. I think the we've get, we've received a ton of messages from people that we are more influential and motivating when we are showing our story as opposed to telling something. So mm-hmm. show yourself more, show yeah. your, what you're doing and that but will it, rub it off and influence people too. Yeah. 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 Whatever yeah. so we tendencies, Kevin stack walking down the street with no shirt. Put that, on the, Put that <laughs> on the story. Yeah. So I go on my walks. I don't bring a phone or anything, but maybe oh, I, okay. okay. Oh, see, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, I know it's hard. So that's what I'm saying. So, I just want to talk, tell everyone about your cookbook that's coming out. I want to tell them to follow you on social media because if they're not, they're missing out. Uh, where, where should people just? Yes, we have a YouTube channel and oh, an Instagram. Have a YouTube both. channel, that's right. Yes, both are strong.sistas. And we're working. And that is a period. And that is a period, <laughs> strong.sistas. Um, we're working towards two exciting projects. One is the cookbook with Paul Saladino. It's going to be released early next year. It's just going to be a ton of exciting over 150 50 or so nose to tail recipes. That's so for, awesome. For people to make carnivore not boring. Yep. And then you tell about our other project. Yeah. And then our goal within the next year or two is to have our own regenerative farm. I, I meant to I meant to bring it up that I have dibs once you guys get your farm going on, on the cows. All right. Cow, so, first little cow is going no, to Kevin's. I, I have dibs. <laughs> I'm excited for you guys. This is not a, like, this is not a goal. You are absolutely going to do this. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like I, I travel every week to go do a farming internship because like, I know that I, I am a prima donna. And so I got to get my feet in the dirt and my hands in the dirt to learn. And so is your farm going to be in Illinois? You know, so we, our family spends a lot of time in, um, Southwest Michigan. Southwest Michigan. So it's oh, that's awesome. nice area by our parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end goal, but you know, for right now we got to do it financially makes sense but our our goal is to set up an online store like white oak pastures and really sell like nose to tail products and yeah and allow people to come to our farm yes because we want to have fun with you guys so yeah we we want to have it as like a teaching place to teach people about all this stuff we're just so passionate about it and your name is on the top of our list though i got you all right I, I, I've been researching a lot about sustainability. I'm going to finally start writing about it next year, I think, because I, I still have a massive plan this schedule this year. But I'm going to need to have you guys back on to talk just straight up sustainability. You would be more than happy to talk about that. Awesome. Okay, one last social media question and i got to let you guys go. Uh, do you guys have your own personal social media or is it just Strong Sisters? So actually, that's funny. <laughs> Strong Sisters was... Not that like, I, not, if you want to keep it personal, don't tell no, anyone right. what it is. Oh, we hold nothing back. To be honest, our Instagram family are our best friends. Yeah. So there's no need to have a personal account when like everybody that I like communicate with is online. And I know that sounds horrible, but I have my sister here. We have our dogs. We have our family. Uh, but besides that, like join us on social media. That's our personal, that's as personal as we get. We so have a side account. Yeah. yeah. We also have a side account called two little, two little pumpkins. Oh, this is embarrassing. And it just, <laughs> it just represents our obsession with Halloween and like and fall. fall. But we started sharing that on strong sisters too. So, so. we activate that at this time of year. So that's going to be, we're going to be posting it's that. Seasonal. It's, it's seasonal. It's oh. a seasonal. <laughs> Well, I know you guys are already well on your way to Insta-Famous, but I'm glad I got to talk to you before you're like big Insta-Famous and don't want to talk to me anymore. So I'm going to hold you to that next talk about sustainability, even if you guys have 10 billion followers. 
if this will make you feel better, Ashley and I, like, we remember not too long ago, we were like, oh my God, Kevin Cat's followed us! Cat's followed us! So, you're the Insta-famous one. You're, you're like, we view you as, like, one of the OG carnivores. Yeah, we call you the so OG. We will never, <laughs> we aren't, one, that's not going to happen, but two, we'll, you will never be low on, oh, one, right. you have our full cow, and two, whenever you want to talk right. about farming. We got to spread that message. So. Yes. Awesome. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure talking. Thank you so much for all the time. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. This yeah, has we been great. We enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun. Well, you guys have a good weekend. You Thank too. you. You too. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.